On this episode of Aka Education, Justin has a roundtable discussion with Heather Newkirk, Isaiah Hawkins, and Daniel Valenzuela about the importance of inclusiveness. From ways to approach a curriculum that is representative of your student population to discussion on how to create positive dialogue with your students to ensure all are welcome, all are included, and all have a voice and are heard. Let's get ready. It's time for some Aka Education. It's the Aka Education Podcast. The Aka Education Podcast. Of educators who get Hey everybody, this is Justin Glodish and welcome to episode four of Aka Education. This episode focuses on the importance of inclusiveness. Now I have three amazing people with me today. I have Isaiah Hawkins, Heather Newkirk, and Danny Valenzuela. Now, Danny is a special education principal for Champlain Valley Educational Services, and he also has a great podcast called Mr. V's Principal Lens, and you can find that on Anchor, Spotify, uh, Apple as well. And I had Danny come on because he's going to bring a unique perspective as an administrator with everything that is going on. Isaiah Hawkins is an arranger, songwriter, an award-winning arranger, I should say, songwriter and music educator from Auburn Hills, Michigan, uh, just graduated from Michigan State University. And he is also the North Region Relationship Manager for the Contemporary Acapella Society. He lives by the idea that music is storytelling and seeks to use acapella as an avenue for social justice by centering the narratives of people of color and amplifying music that fights social inequities. And Heather Newkirk, she has been a longtime acapella community man, uh, member singing with her Syracuse group. She's been active in college, ICA, ICHSA, CASA festivals, masterclasses. Chances are, if you've been at a CASA-sponsored event, Heather's probably been there, you know, hanging out and waving and stuff. So uh, Isaiah, Heather, Danny, welcome to the Aka Education Podcast. Hey, thanks for having yeah. me. Hey, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. The topic that we're talking about today, inclusiveness, is uh, with everything that's going on in the country, in the world right now, um, these, are, these are conversations that I feel that we as a community need to have as educators, just as, just as human beings, we need to have these conversations, whether they, they're easy or difficult. So um, what I would like to focus on first is referring to um, how we can talk about inclusiveness in schools. You know, this is meant to be an education podcast uh, for teachers alike. Um, how uh, do you feel that schools in general, maybe from where you've worked or what you've seen, how do you think, what do you think they've done so far um, to address the topic of inclusiveness for, um, you know, we're talking about Black Lives Matter, we're talking about the LGBTQ uh, community. How do you, what do you think they've done so far to address the topic and what do you think still needs to be done? And I'm going to start with our principal here. I'm going to start with Danny. Uh, what do you think uh, we've done so far and what can we do to make it better? Um, I think schools are actually more aware of it now. Um, I feel like, you know, schools do the best that they can. I, the perspective I have is that schools are always systematically behind the times in the sense of being able to reform and catch up with the trends. But that's more the system per se. 
but the staff for the most part are on par with what's happening. And if anything, schools do a nice job of creating that safe space for kids um, to explore now. Even the schools that have a hard time with creating a quote unquote safe space, there's a lot of practices out now that schools are really doing their best to implement like restorative justice practices and things like that. So I think the system drags it longer than it needs to just because it's archaic, but the people in the school community are, for the most part, help create that safe space. Absolutely, I agree. Isaiah, how about you? What do you think? Yeah, I'd 100% agree that um, schools tend to, the school systems tend to be more reactionary. And again, this goes to depending on where you teach or where you go to school on the map, you have you may have very different community um responses to any action or lack of action that is taken in in response to something like the murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna mm -hmm. Taylor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, so I think the schools as a system tend to be more reactionary, but when you look at what, again, what the teachers themselves are doing and more, more so what the students are doing. Um, I was student teaching back in the spring, uh, fun time indeed. And, we didn't get to see what the school's re reaction was because we were out of school due to the pandemic by then. But after the murder of George Floyd, I saw through social media and through the news, I saw some of my students from when I was student teaching out protesting in what is a very white, relatively conservative town that I, that many would not have expected this to happen in not even a few years ago when Michael Brown was murdered and that led to the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement. So we've definitely seen that progress as public opinion has shifted in our schools. Absolutely. Heather, how about you? Yeah, um, I think that, yeah, I'm kind of I'm echoing a lot of things, but uh, a lot of the kids nowadays, they are making their voices heard, where I think um, in the past, a lot of teachers were more, um, they were more inclined to, you know, not talk about these things. They didn't want to like bring these things into the classroom. You know, they're like, this is a safe space. You know, everybody matters. But, you know, we kind of realized over time, hey, all of these differences that make us you know, like unique and interesting, we should be embracing them. We shouldn't be trying to blanket everyone by saying everyone is special. We should be telling people why they're special. Um, I mean, I think it's such a strange thing to be growing up and like, seeing your friends and your peers are now teachers. Um, and, you know, it's nice to see that there are so many people out there who are trying to be more progressive about their classrooms. They're like, we want to make sure that our, the things that we're teaching in class are things that are going to relate to your life. They're going to be able to, um, like, um, they're gonna make sense in the lens of your life and what you're living in the news. They don't wanna teach you something that's not going to resonate with you. Uh, hopefully that's my dream for all the teachers um, and I think that a lot of teachers are they're still socially connected through social media um, social media is just like such a huge thing nowadays um, especially with TikTok especially with Twitter um, I mean th that's where a lot of kids are going now for news and for information and stuff and as much as we don't want to admit it that's probably pervasive in schools like it's probably in there kids are watching them on their lunch breaks or whatever um, and I think that teachers, you know, kind of knowing a little bit about what's going on on those sites uh, and, you know, bringing it into the classroom perspective is a really cool aspect of today's uh, classroom. 
Absolutely. And I think you, you kind of brought up a good point. It's, it's about educating ourselves as teachers. You know, um, me, I'm in my mid thirties and I, I'm trying to pick up on what, you know, my sixth and seventh graders are doing with TikTok. I have a TikTok, but I mean, I, what, like I'm making a, I make a video and I'm like, this has no, no bearing on <laughs> what any of my, my students probably do or watch, but I mean, I'll scroll through and, and there's some really powerful stuff on there. I mean, aside from all of like the pranks and the, and the jokes and, and the dance crazes and whatever, there's some, there's some powerful moments that come through social media that um, our students are seeing. And Isaiah, you even brought up, you know, that you had students that were participating in, in protests. And I had the same thing. We had a few marches here in my area where some of my actual, my students um, some of my African American students were actually speaking at these these events, uh, telling about their their experiences with racism in our own schools, and uh, it it hurt knowing that they were going through that. I I feel the pain for them, you know, and and I want to be able to be there to help them. And I think as teachers, it's important for us to to listen to them and listen to those conversations as opposed to just pushing them off aside. Um, I. I totally agree, 100%. Um, now, my question about the um, LGBTQ community, uh, because you know there are there are students, especially in middle school, that this this is kind of a point in time where they're starting to maybe question, you know, question themselves, question their own sexuality. Do you have any, I um, sort of. Um, tips or just ways to create positive dialogue for students and for teachers alike to be able to kind of get through, you know, feeling comfortable talking about these things. I'll start with Heather. Yeah, um, I think that as an educator, I think one of the most important things you can do is educate yourself on uh, terms um, and what, you know, what labels quote unquote exist, I guess how can people define themselves or not define themselves, I guess, learning differences between, um, you know, differences between gender expression and, you know, sexuality and just like really understanding that there are very different specific terms that people identify with. And I think going into your classroom, um, not, you know, immediately being like, you know, what, what do you identify as, you know, just, you know, being like, hi, you know, I'm, you know, I'm Miss Heather. Uh, the pronouns that I use are she and her. Um, and, you know, really setting that um, precedence of like, we're going to make this a really safe space. I'm going to set the precedence by, you know, like stating things and, you know, making sure that other people are comfortable with those, um, that terminology. And I think um, using your curriculum to your advantage and incorporating not just, you know, cishet white composers or whatever, you know, saying you're a music teacher, um, you know, really trying to incorporate a worldview that is more diverse um, with people who are diverse in and of themselves. Um, really focusing on those kinds of things would be awesome to see. Mm -hmm. Isaiah, would uh, want to add on to that? Sure. Yeah, it's, it goes to something as simple as being sure to use their student's preferred name and pronouns, even if it's not what's listed on your class roster and being sure just to be open to wherever they are in their experience, wherever they are in their area of knowledge, accept them as they are and listen to them as they're asking questions of themselves and others and make sure that that happens in a 
in an open and inclusive way, because there are also very clearly ways that students discovering different sexualities and gender identities can handle that in a not very healthy way. And you see that in a lot of homophobic bullying and transphobic bullying by young kids that just don't really know what the words they're throwing around mean or mm-hmm. ha- or are carrying around negative stereotypes and baggage that they got from elsewhere that they can be taught to let go of and to reject and to be open and inclusive and caring about the people around them. And if that idea of teaching students to be open and inclusive just sounds like good teaching, it's because it is. Like a lot of the ta- the tips and the strategies and the ways that we can have a more inclusive classroom and limit discrimination and things like that are just ways for us to have to be good teachers. I think good humans in general. Yeah, like, absolutely. Not just good teachers, just good people. <laughs> you know, uh, Dan, as, Danny, as a um, administrator, I mean, I'm sure you agree with a lot of what's being said, but you know, from the op- opposite side, from being you know the top of your position, um, what would you what would you say? I always use the reference storytelling um, and, you know, everything everyone else said is spot on. I use a, cause I work in the North country. So sometimes you kind of have to break a norm even when they don't mean to. Um, and one thing I always tell people is it's your story to tell, never let anybody else take the pen to write it. You know? And I say that to the teachers, like, don't you dare take that pen and start writing this boy's story or this girl's story or whatever the case may be. And just putting it in that type of simplistic term allows someone who may not have experience or grew up in an environment that has given them a lack of exposure to things, allows them to wrap their head around it and start to figure it out. And that in turn looks like what Heather was saying, which was go educate yourself or, you know, all these other things. So that's my take on it is that, you know, as a school, as long as you create that's why I love restorative justice because it's hard at first to implement and get started because it's uncomfortable. It's not an easy process in the beginning, but once you create a culture of a restorative practice type of atmosphere, you allow people mm-hmm. to feel important and know that they have a voice and that it, their voice has value and that it's your story to tell. And just as it's important for teachers and stuff to never take that pen away, it's important for students to know don't ever give up that power of someone else writing your story mm-hmm. and i think that's an, and that's something that we're seeing a lot more these days with these protests and a lot of these young people speaking out and i love i love the the analogy here of the story storytelling and using the pen man i'm gonna use that i that's that's i, sure. I saw heather be like okay I, heather was smiling yeah, and isaiah agrees too i think it's great um, you know, we talk about educating ourselves, but it also comes down to what we're actually teaching our students. Um, you know, I don't know about all of you, but I know that me, you know, growing up elementary general music, you know, we had a composer of the month and it was always Bach, Beethoven, you know, and all, you know, all of those old, you know, Western, you know, Eurocentric, like classical composers, you know, and then going up through middle school, it was, you know, in high school, we would get the spiritual song, you know, the Moses Hogan, but um, we would, uh, in middle school, because it was like the emerging voices, we would get like the I don't want to use the term schlocky, but I guess I'm going to the 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 arrangements and the music that tried to have a you know um, a world feel, but wasn't necessarily written by someone who 
you know, experiences the music, if, if that makes sense. So I guess, um, what would you suggest as, as far as te us teachers, curriculum wise, what would you have us start incorporating into our repertoire selections, our general music curriculum? Um, what would you suggest, um, Isaiah? Because I know that you had mentioned you had a pretty cool project uh, when you were in school um, that I thought was fascinating. Yes. Uh, so when I was in high school, um, I, as a part of my IB music, my, I went to a school with the International Baccalaureate Program. So for our, we had a sort of general music class that focused on music history, music theory, granted for the most part, Western music and Western theory, which is, which is its own issue. But one, we spent an entire, it was a four semester-ish course. We spent most of the last semester of that on a world music project where we looked into a region of the world that was not Europe and looked into their music practices, music traditions, their styles, different genres, instrumentations, um, harmonic practices, all of that. And we would present on it to the class. I did Western, West African drumming, which is an incredible base of music with some incredibly complex rhythms and a lot of fun. And it's just so good to look at. And a lot of other of my classmates got to do a lot more in-depth research on music from around the world. And that's something that a lot of us as music educators aren't, don't really have the capacity to do much less to push onto our students to do. Um, I did another thing for my music honor society because my school was weird and had that kind of a thing where we each present, we spent days where we would present a style of music to people in the school that just wanted to come and do music after school. And for that, I did reggae, which was a fun time. I got to teach them about the style, the uh, form, the instrumentation and the like of reggae. And that was also interesting. And the idea is teaching people that the only music that is, because, excuse me, the music that we do in our classrooms has a normative feel about it. Like the music that we put into our classrooms has a sort of value as this is like school music. So that is, a, we, we assign value to it by teaching it in our classroom. And when the only music that we're teaching is Western music or classical music or choral music that was written for middle schoolers in the past 30 years, but was designed to emulate that Western European classical feel, we're sort of valuing one culture over another. And that's a very blatant form of systemic discrimination. So we as educators can do a better job of looking more outside of our comfort zones and what we were taught in our high school and middle school choirs and what our teachers were taught in their high school and middle school choirs on what good music is and what music deserves to be in the classroom and really expand our horizons. Absolutely, that's that's very powerful, I agree. Heather, how about you? Yes, um, I, oh my gosh, Ugh, Isaiah, I just want you to write a book and I will buy that book. You Kickstarter it. <laughs> I, like, second I, am, that. I second that. I am here for I it, love I would love that. Um, yeah, uh, so my experience in music classes growing up is, you know, we learn the basic, um, you learn some songs about the holidays, you know, like let's sing a pilgrim song. Um, you do one of those. And then as you get to middle school, you kind of get a little bit more serious and they're like, okay, now we're going to sing songs that are cultural. And, you know, I had, I had amazing music teachers and some of them had really great intentions, but I don't think the idea of um, acknowledging diversity and maybe, you know, admitting that you are not 
a part of a group of people that you are trying to represent. You know, um, I had an incredible music teacher. She's the sweetest woman. I wish she was my grandmother. Um, and she was teaching us a spiritual to, you know, a whole class of like 100 white kids. Um, and it was, it was, it was kind of uncomfortable. And I think it was definitely taboo to like admit that at that time. And this was in like 2000. Oh my God, I'm dating myself. Like 2008, 2009. Um, and you know, at that point we weren't that culturally aware and we weren't and like, we weren't talking about diversity as much as we are today, which is a shame. Um, and you know, she had so many good intentions and she really wanted to teach the song and wanted it to mean, you know, mean something to us. But unfortunately, singing, like trying to bring meaning to that song to a bunch of people who don't understand uh, coming from racism, coming from, you know, this place of their ancestors, you know, being slaves, you know, not having these rights that, you know, other people have, people weren't making that, the connection. And so the meaning was almost lost, which is really disappointing. Um, so I think not only looking at the group of um, people that you have in your class, but also looking at yourself as a teacher. I mean, you know, people come from so many different places and have so many different um, backgrounds. Um, I know the new music teacher in my district, um, he's actually half Korean, which is really cool. And I know that he is making efforts to try and, you know, diversify music in that way. Um, you know, he has some sort of handle on like, Korean music and was just like, hey, I would love to, you know, bring this to my classroom because, you know, I understand it. It's part of, you know, who I am. But also he's, you know, cognizant of, hey, you know, I also want to take a look at the group of people in my class and see where they're coming from, what music they identify with. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be choral music, which is what I really love. Um, they have um, a concert once a year, I think, where the seniors get to choose a song that they want to perform. And it doesn't have to be an aria. It doesn't have to be um, an operatic song. It doesn't have to be one of the specific NISMA standard songs. Like it can be whatever song they want it to be, pop, rock, whatever. And I love that the teacher embraces that and really helps that person to sing that song um, the way that they want to in front of their peers. And that's great. Yeah, and I feel that, you know, you, you referred to NISMA, the, you know, the, the state repertoire lists can be so restrictive. And depending on the level of, you know, what your group is, you're really limited to what you can choose. And like, you have to choose specific repertoire when you go to festival, you know, and uh, this goes to, you know, giving the kids a voice, giving your students a voice when it comes to choosing repertoire, which I think is important too. Um, Danny, how about you? I think, um, it's it goes back to like if you're in the classroom like you don't have to like make an awkward presentation about it you just be treat it normal because that's what it is you know have make sure you know if you're in elementary make sure when you have books displayed you got covers of different cultural experiences just laying out you don't have to say anything but just that in itself creates a headspace that that just shows the inclusive there. Um, I'll say in regards to like the music component, uh, I was a choir kid, band kid, did marching band, even taught color guard and all that stuff. Um, but my choir director in particular, I went to Central Islip High School and we ended up creating a good reputation, you know, winning awards and stuff. That was one of the best times. That was when my voice was the best. Don't ask me to sing now, but um, 
he was a white Jewish guy from Queens and he was working in, in my school. The, it was very urban, very hood. So for us to have that type of quiet was unexpected. And I swear to you, the reason why we sounded so good is because he was just so real. He connected every song to emotion and feelings and he did it authentically. Like, you know, we would sing um, certain songs that were written back down in slavery and they're some of the best songs I've ever sung. And I'll never forget the rehearsals when he's like, don't you forget where this song came from. Huge rant and like to like he had a way of making you tap into the emotion even if you didn't experience it, and that's what made it where no matter it didn't matter that he was a white Jewish guy from Queens telling us that it it connected and and it showed when we performed and it showed when we sang. So that's what I think about when you ask that question. Yeah, and I think you know it really comes down to us as as teachers. You know, the more we educate ourselves and prepare ourselves. Um, it's a trickle down effect onto our students and they, they, they see that. Now, Dan, you actually brought up a really good point about, you know, representation in the classroom. And um, this, this has to go all the way down to, you know, even your preschool elementary settings, because this is something that should be taught at a young age, you know, not just at home, but like within the, so the social aspect of school. Now, I know things are a little bit different now with, you know, being in school for only half time or going full, full online remote or whatever with the COVID-19 pandemic. But um, your, your classroom needs to show that because it, it brings that welcoming space um, do you have you had that experience when you were all in elementary school um were there like books or or something that kind of like you still remember to this day that really made um an impact on you uh isaiah how about you um i actually have one that came to mind um when i was in fourth grade i was uh in my our, our general class we were doing a book every couple months as we do and at the beginning of my fourth grade second semester we read we read a book called The Watsons Go to Birmingham, 1963 by Christopher Paul Curtis. I remember because I have a copy of it that's on this shelf right over here because oh, it's nice. one of my favorite books, even though it's written mostly for kids. And it's, um, it's a historical fiction book where there's this family, this black family living in Flint, Michigan. So it's right by me. So I already, I initially identified from there. Um, and they go to visit some family down South and, Alabama and in Alabama 1963 so they went on to be a part of the Birmingham church church bombing where four young girls were killed in a racial attack at a church in uh, Birmingham so they were a part of that so it was a a kind of a dual benefit in one I got to see a I got to read a book with a black protagonist that does not often happen when you're in elementary school and then I got to learn about an event that actually happened in history when I was, what, nine years old. Now, the next step on to that for teachers that are teaching nowadays is to connect that to racial attacks, racial hatred that has persisted not just from the 60s and through the civil rights movement that we teach about in February, but how it has persisted through this day. To, you can connect it to the things that are happening outside their windows and on their TV screens now and how these same patterns that existed from slavery through Jim Crow, through the 60s, through the civil rights movement, through the 70s and 80s with the war on drugs and so many other policies 
maybe maybe don't go too much in depth depending on how much of an attention span how much time you have because again this is a topic that can go very very in depth but this is a deeper conversation that you can have with kids of all ages again i learned this i learned about like discrimination in the civil rights movement before i was nine years old but i read a book about it when i was nine so i was in elementary school in fourth grade and i was able to grasp these concepts so i know that our students are able to have these conversations because they are witnessing everything that's going on right now i will never forget actually i was just at a march in detroit last week and there is this girl could not have been five or six years old barely walking but she was carrying a sign and walking beside her mom and there were a couple others there's another girl that was going around through the uh protest she had a camera and she was taking picture of the speakers and people and their signs and our kids are a part of this movement so it's um, incumbent upon us as teachers to incorporate this movement into what we're teaching them right and you know even even as music teachers yeah we can teach music and we can discuss dates and stuff but i think it's also important as you said to kind of really bring the rest of what's going on in history at that moment in time like we talk about like there's songs out there that have specific references that 20 years ago people were like what's that you know i always use this is a joke but like I, the song replay by ayaz where he says his song you know on his ipod on re like 20 years ago it was like well, what's an ipod you know you don't know but like even just some of the like the the things that are discussed in songs now they refer to all the different like social media slang and stuff like that you don't know that but then you go and listen to songs during all these protest songs from the 60s you know like war and and just of all of these different songs they have different meanings you know um between you know arlo guthrie woody guthrie bob dylan you know even those guys just different aspects of songs that had to deal with those specific times it's important to teach the history around it i think that's and you said you had literally a, a children's book which helped teach you about discrimination when you were nine years old there's a lot of material out there that we as educators not just music educators but educators in general could really access to really teach these things now heather um you actually teach younger students so um what are some things that you actually do in your classroom to help you know help show equality for your students i think um danny made such a good point in saying you know have things available in your classroom have different types of life and different you know um, different kinds of people, just have them shown in your classroom. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. You don't have to say, hey, look, we've included everyone. Just just do it. Just have it there. Have it available. Um, so we have, um, in my classroom, it's awesome. We have um, a child who's hard of hearing, and um, they wear a hearing aid. And we have a child who has Down syndrome. And we really, like, we want to make sure that they feel welcome, their families feel welcome. But at the same time, we want to make sure that everyone in the classroom is being treated equally and that they're understanding, you know, like, hey, you know, this person can't hear as well, but that's okay. And that's why they have a hearing aid. And, you know, we really want to start early and saying people have differences and that doesn't make them scary. It makes them cool and awesome. And we want to know more about them and we want to be able to do things for them if they need help, if they ask us. Um, I think our generation right now of teachers is also really big on teaching children um, to say no if they're uncomfortable, teaching them, you know, you don't have to hug someone if you don't want to, really teaching them to set those boundaries like, oh, you know, they didn't really want to hug right now, so you need to really ask before you do that. 
And I think setting up children so early with these skills of, you know, learning to speak their minds and, you know, set their own boundaries and, you know, to understand themselves and what they want. I think that's really setting them up for success in the future. Um, and, you know, when they grow up and, you know, see, hey, I want to do, you know, this thing that maybe, maybe girls aren't allowed to do all the time. Like, I want to go play football or like a boy who's like, I want to do ballet and, you know, setting them up to be like, I want to do this thing and teaching the peers to be supportive of that instead of being like, oh, that's, you know, that's not what you should do. You know, teaching them early on to, you know, really um, embrace people's passions and interests and to support them in any way that they can. Absolutely. And uh, you literally brought up two points, you know, um, when you talk about females playing, you know, football or, you know, what's considered like male sports, even baseball, you know, um, I, I have former students, uh, former female students who played soccer, but were also, you know, catching passes and, and running, you know, running plays on their football team. And um, I have a student who actually was just accepted into, he was just accepted into a prestigious ballet academy down in Florida. Um, and he's been taking a ballet since he was a kid and the, the amount of work, the work ethic that this kid has, because, you know, he's a trumpet player. He was a singer in my acapella group and he, you know, he's this phenomenal ballet dancer, you know, and I have a, I have a friend of mine who I went to high school with, uh, one of his, one of his sons loves wearing dresses and his mother actually has this great blog, you know, life with a boy in a dress and she raises awareness, you know, like this is normal and this is normal and this is okay. And there's great literature out there. And, you know, she's very supportive. The family's very supportive and they have a great following because, you know, there are, you know, students who, you know, want to do, try these different things because it's outside what we consider the norm. And, what exactly is the norm? I guess, I guess you could say, right? What is the norm? It's what we make it to be, I think. Um, now, Danny, you as an administrator, um, in your classrooms, when you walk through the hallways, you know, what are things that you would hope to see and um, would you know, like to have teachers have in their classrooms to help show that equality throughout? So I'm in special education. So the, that field has just naturally expanded my definition of diversity. Um, so what I look for um, is differentiation. Um, and I, that kind of umbrellas everything. So how are you differentiating your instruction? How are you differentiating your assistive tech? How are you differentiating your content? How are you differentiating your environment of the classroom? there's a skill and it's really hard to master to stay have a positive approach when your tank is empty the field of work is hard um it's underappreciated as we you know um so i also look for like that social emotional is so big for students i look for that same thing for staff so i look for little things like how are they doing for their kids so that way if i see what's happening if i just see their energy or their vibe because it happens we're human you know um, to make sure they're doing the same type of approach for, for them. Um, but the biggest thing for me is di the term differentiation. How do you do that in, in all levels? That's really what I look for. On top of all the other things, you know, building relationships and all that type of stuff. Uh, other thing I really just don't like are very punitive people. I don't like those type of teachers. That's very archaic, not a fan. And those type of people, I push the bear all the time. So uh, I like to say, I talk about this train, 
the train is going, right? So, you know, it's a different generation. This, you know, we grew up, probably you and I, Justin, with the last of what the old way with the new way starting, you know? Um, so how the kids have it now. So it's just a different world. We are, you know, it's a different method of how we teach. So I always tell teachers, the train is going that way. Either you hop on and be a sponge and learn this ride together, or you're just gonna be dragged and it's gonna be very painful and very hard and very uncomfortable. But either way, the train has now gone that way. We don't have a choice. So schools are always the last to follow the trend because the system doesn't let us keep up, right? So you pick your route. You wanna be comfortable, be a sponge and learn like everybody else, or you're gonna get dragged and, and have a bumpy ride. You choose. You are full of analogies and I am here for it. I love it. And like, I, I think, I mean, for me, you, the utilization of analogies just I like it helps me understand it better. And you're you're like you're pretty much educating me right now. And I agree, <laughs> you know, because, you know, you and I, I mean, not to age ourselves, but we are I, I'm probably the oldest here, you know, um, and, you know, Isaiah is, I think, the youngest. But, you know, we're we're still a part of that the same generation. But, you know, there is that older generation that, uh, you know, it was taught this way and I'm going to continue teaching this way. And, just, you know, it's going to be like that until I retire. And then, you know, you have this new way of thinking, new way of approaching approaching teaching um, with these these students that are graduating you know I mean Isaiah you are you are a smart bright young individual and you know everything that we are are hearing from you and from you know everyone your your generation is is the way that things should start being focused on in schools and um, it's I feel like it's like a, a cycle we're going to start seeing you know retirees kind of like make their way out and then this this level of thinking that we all have is is going to kind of become commonplace in education um i may maybe i'm wrong but i would i would love to be right i would love to be right in that um that cycle you said that cycle's always been there yeah. but now with social media like now it's just different oh yeah and it's, it's like, i think it's amplified more because it, exactly it's amplified on a whole nother level now so mm -hmm. like the cycle's always been there but now it's amplified on a whole nother level and you have to pay attention to it if you weren't before. Right. And it goes back to like, I, I was saying, like, I feel like I'm trying to catch up on like all the social media trends is like, just to kind of stay relevant. I mean, because I mean, if, if you're not fun in the classroom, your, your students, your students are going to look at you a lot differently. If, if you're not, you're not up with the trends, you know, and Mr. Glutus, you're going to make a TikTok video today. I'm like, uh, I would want to teach first, but I mean, you know, they, they, they want you to be a part of it. They want you to, to experience what they're experiencing. And, and that's important. Um, and going off of that, you know, talking about social media and talking about other ways to educate yourselves, because as Danny just said, you know, we have the power at our fingertips. I can literally take out my phone and look up anything I want. I don't have to go to a library card catalog and look for that book in the, in the 400 section or whatever, you know, and I can actually just get the information where I need it. So what are some websites um, or some different things that um, you love and that you would actually use uh, and share with uh, folks in, in terms of, you know, racial equality, um, LGBTQ rights, things like that. Um, Danny, we'll start with you. I right away immediately go to the Trevor Project. Um, the Trevor Project is one of my favorites because um, a lot of people donate to it. So it's picked up a 
its popularity, but it's a really great website. I, you know, they have a huge section for schools. They provide a lot of great resources for families. Uh, they just have a lot of everything and it's laid out in a way that's easy to understand, easy to read, easy for you to kind of interpret and use. So I really like the website on the Trevor Project and then it just allows you like almost like a, a main hub and then it helps you to explore other other sites that they they work well with. So the Trevor Project website for me is a great resource as an educator and a school leader, but also I, I recommend parents and students to that all the time. Um, Isaiah, how about you? Um, so my big thing uh, you mentioned earlier is music as storytelling. So I love looking at music and I love spreading music that people do, especially in contemporary, contemporary acapella, because it as a genre lends itself so well to sharing messages. And again, as I mentioned earlier, putting forth that normative, um, these normative properties that we want to see in our, in our music and in our society. So I like uh, a lot of groups that have done music videos or arrangements of songs that address social change. Uh, the one that always comes to mind first is the school from Oakland, California, uh, Oakland School of Arts, this group called Vocal Rush. And they did a song by Delta Ray called All Good People. There's a video of them doing it um, at NAC, the National Acapella Convention, I think in 2016 or something, that I have to have watched 50 times, or prob that's probably on the low end, because it's so powerful. And it's such a, it's from the perspective of a bystander watching um, like so many things happen in the Black Lives Matter movement and so many black men killed uh, in that perspective. Another one is by this group, a college group this time from University of Central Florida called Voice Box. And they performed a song called The Greatest by Sia. The song itself was written as a response to the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida. And their video was filmed by them going to Orlando Pride. So two very similar causes for social justice that two very different groups have taken very powerful approaches to uh, combat with their music and with their voices. And I think us as educators looking at these and spreading them to our students and to our classes and to our communities can have an incredibly powerful effect for what music we think of as one as I mentioned earlier, beneficial for a classroom setting, but two, what we think the purpose of music is and what we think the purpose of having music in our schools and in our communities really is. Right, I agree. And um, just to piggyback off, because I mean, I'm a big fan of the Nor'easters. I mean, I'm, I think mm -hmm. if you if you know contemporary acapella, you know the Nor'easters and they've done a couple of different renditions of I Know a Place, um, which is also in response um, to the Pulse nightclub shooting. And they just released a new one that they actually um, modified it a bit. And the, it was very powerful because it was in response, it was for the Black Lives Matter movement. And it was, a, it was, a, a don it was basically a fundraiser. They, they played the video and people donated money um, towards the cause. And uh, to me, that's always one that sticks out to me. But uh, I mean, the greatest and uh, Vocal Rush is just, I mean, Lisa Forkish has done amazing things. She's done amazing things with that group. I mean, and if you only know Vocal Rush from the sing-off, then you don't know Vocal Rush. I mean, they were great on the sing-off, but just the 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 themes and just the raw power and emotion that uh, Lisa was able to get out of her students is just phenomenal. Um, Heather, how about you? Yeah, um, so I don't necessarily, um, I guess, seek these things out. Um, but they kind of just filter into um, my feed with the people that I follow and the types of like categories that I follow. And 
it's really hard to live in this day and age of social media and you know to find news especially trying to make sure that it's factual news like that is definitely a huge issue that people struggle with so you know whenever i see something i'm like oh wow this is so cool you know i always have to like go back and fact check but um a lot of great information does come from sources around me it comes from being friends with other people who are teachers or people who are you know in the same field as i am and people who are just sharing things to you know be to be able to educate the rest of us you know it's awesome to have friends who want to share these perspectives share this interest with you also another way that i've learned um it may not work for everybody but it definitely works for me is kind of just you know starting um going to youtube and just kind of going down a rabbit hole of like watching videos that you might not not necessarily have chosen on your own but kind of you know starting maybe you do start at that video um of i know a place and you start there and you just you know you start seeing like related content and things and you just really just start digging into it and figuring out what interests you but in the same way what resonates with your kids today um not only doing things that are like modern but also i think being able to look back in history sometimes i use like Spotify playlists that are like curated or whatever, but they're like, you know, like music from the 1920s, you know, and it's not just, you know, the regular just white people, you know, singing sad songs, you know, you have a bunch of different diverse people. They're all laughing at me. You can't hear it. They're all laughing and it's aggressive, but, um, you know, just recognizing that, you know, we are all taught as young people that, you know, in the 1920s, only, you know, white people were making music. But no, absolutely not. There's so much music going on in India, so much music going on in South America, literally everywhere else. And I think taking that time to um, listen to that, I think is time well spent. Absolutely. Sorry, sorry we're laughing. I just, I, 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 I yeah, no, you bring up a good point. And it, and it goes back to, again, what has been, ingrained in curriculum for for years and it really is you know we need to scratch this and like really dig down deeper into the you know the depths of all of these other cultures and all this other music that's been out there for thousands of years and um really bring it bring it forward um man i i love talking to the three of you and uh this has been a great uh great episode i think um i i feel educated um, you know, for me as, as, as a white male, as a cis white male, I want to make sure that I am always learning more, especially for my students, because I have a diverse set of students and I want to be 100% there for them. And I think a lot of people who will listen to this podcast want the same for their students. And I think uh, the three of you, Heather, Danny, Isaiah, for joining me this week on the Aka Education Podcast and giving just at least a little bit of insight towards it and um, what we can do to become better teachers, better individuals, just better human beings. So Heather, Danny, Isaiah, uh, thank you for joining me on the Aka Education Podcast this week. Um, we'll be right back. And welcome back to the Aka Education Podcast. There is no mailbag this week, but I have a very awesome special announcement. The Aka Education Podcast is now a part of the Akaville Radio Podcast Network. 
you can check out Acaville Radio at acaville.org, A-C-A-V-I-L-L-E.org. Acaville Radio is listener-supported radio, all acapella, all the time. They have different podcasts, different shows throughout the week for you to listen to. You can listen to ours, the Aka Education Podcast, Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and also on Sundays during the rebroadcast Sundays at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. Pacific. That's the Acaville Radio Network, acaville.org. We'll be right back. That's it for this episode of Aka Education. I want to take a moment to thank Isaiah Hawkins, Heather Newkirk, and Dan Valenzuela for joining us about the importance of inclusiveness in your classroom. Be sure to check out the links in our episode description for different resources that we discussed during today's episode. Check us out on social media, Aka Ed Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. Be sure if you haven't done so already to subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified when a new episode is posted every week. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Music Podcasts, and we're also on Anchor. You can also now check us out on Acaville Radio, acaville.org. And last, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the podcast, be sure to email me at acaedpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Justin Glodish. I'll see you next week.